1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 16. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens, his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to think for a moment. See if you can think of a person in your life uh, who, who just God is really blessing them or they seem to have a lot of favor. Uh, they just seem to be really in a sweet spot. They might be a, a fellow mother who just is really doing things well. Her kids are just really doing well. It might be uh, uh, someone who got out of college when you did, and they're, they're making a lot of money and really doing well. Uh, it might be uh, somebody who's, frankly, you don't think they're quite as gifted as you are, but they are really going up the ranks in their business, and it just seems like everything they touch turns to gold. Uh, Maybe it's a a family member that it it just seems like everything they do, uh, it just just gets better and better and bigger and bigger, and maybe your life hasn't been on that trajectory for a while. How do you respond 
when God pours out his blessing on someone, maybe even to the point where they are offered a role that you would like, where they're able to do things that you wish someone would ask you to do? Well, this is really a story about that. David has just rocketed himself onto the scene after uh, the defeat of, of Goliath. He's kind of exploded into Saul's court. Not many people really knew much about him before that. Now, if, if Shakespeare were writing this story, the person we would focus on would be Jonathan because Jonathan has the right to the throne of Israel. He is the firstborn of King Saul. He is the next in line to power. And so when David explodes into the court... Jonathan has the most to lose. So what does Jonathan do when God brings into his world someone who has an anointing and a gifting to do a job he thought he was going to do? Well, it's an interesting story. It says the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Those are Hebrew words of the most tenderest kind of of intimacy. It says that they even made a covenant with each other. Jonathan says, I'm going to stick with you the rest of my life. And then he does something that would have meant something very powerful in the ancient world. He takes off his robe, his clothes, gives them to David. In the ancient world, the clothes that you wore symbolize your authority, status, and rank. Essentially what he is doing is handing over the keys to the kingdom and saying, I see God has prepared you for this role. I celebrate that. And I'm going to support you. How many Shakespeare plays go like that? How many shows would you have on HBO if people behave that way? Isn't everything about power? Aren't we supposed to cling to power, to grasp power? Isn't that what House of Cards, Game of Thrones, you you know it. Everything is about clinging and claiming power. Jonathan celebrates another person who God has gifted to serve a role better than he could. He's like Christ, who decided not to cling to the qualities of God, but come to earth as a servant. Now, King Saul doesn't know anything about this. Uh, When he finds out, he's going to be furious. Because King Saul doesn't know anything about giving up power. So the first way that we respond or could respond when there's somebody in your life who God is just blessing profoundly, the first way we can respond is to celebrate, to identify the great work of God that is happening, and even to step back and say, you know, I thought I was going to be number one, but I'm willing to be number two and support you 
as number one. I'm willing to get behind what God is doing in your life. That's how Jonathan responds to the to the blessing of, of David. Now, our culture doesn't celebrate this much, right? Um, have you seen that incredible statue by Michelangelo of Jonathan? <laughs> no, you haven't, because there isn't one, because nobody makes statues out of number two. Uh, you don't remember the name of the vice president. You don't remember the name of all the... Our culture loves the hero, the big guy. But I think Jonathan's the real hero of the story. The number two. Without Jonathan, David never would have become king. So that's the first first possible way to respond. When God blesses someone and maybe you covet what they had, you wish you had what they had. I think I, I... I struggle. I don't struggle with this that much now. I struggled a lot in my late 30s and early 40s uh, when I saw men who were leading large churches well. And I was not leading a large church well. And it just made me so angry that no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get their mojo no matter how many conferences I went to or books I read. It took me a while to to get to the place of perfect bliss and harmony I am tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I have a friend who, um, he's a very gifted man, very intelligent man, and a good leader in our community. He's been up for many top spots and I've known him about 20 years, and every time he'd get to the last four or five, and then he'd be crushed because he wouldn't get it. And, and he told me uh, recently, this week, he said, you know, I think I've finally embraced the fact that I'm supposed to be second. And now he's as peaceful as, as I've ever seen him. So that's the first a way to respond when God blesses someone or someone surpasses you. Saul has a little different tack. They're coming back from this great battle. And and remember, let's not just turn this into a Sunday school story. Had David not defeated Goliath, there would have been a holocaust, and the Philistines would have wiped out Israel. This was a very serious battle. And so we've seen the pictures of the parades after World War II. This is what was happening in Israel. The women are coming out and they're singing as was traditional in their culture. And they're praising both of them. Saul struck down his thousands. David is ten thousands. And so you can just kind of see them. They're marching along. They're waving. And David keeps going. And Saul's like, what? Lady, what did you say? What? Did you hear what they're saying, Abner? He starts to listen to what other people are saying about him. From that day on, he hates David. He says, what's left but for him to become the king? Jealousy enters his heart. He's too insecure 
He doesn't know who he is in God. He doesn't really trust God. And so he hates the man who God gave him to help him fulfill his destiny. A couple dictionary definitions of jealousy. See if you can relate. Webster's. An unhappy or angry feeling of wanting to have what someone else has. Okay, here's a little bigger one. Psychological definition. Jealousy is a complex emotion that encompasses many different kinds of feelings, ranging from fear of abandonment to rage and humiliation. Jealousy can strike both men and women when a third-party threat to a valued relationship is perceived. It can be a problem among siblings competing for a parent's attention or envy after a more successful friend. Here's an older theological definition. Read, boring and hard to understand. Uh, Jealousy is a sorrow which one entertains at another's well-being because of a view that one's own excellence is in consequence lessened. The law of love constrains us to rejoice rather than be distressed at the good fortune of our neighbor. Jealousy is a capital sin because of the other sins it begets. Hatred, detraction, rejoicing over the misfortunes of one's fellow, and whispering. Hmm. <laughs> so Jonathan celebrates Saul's, David's success. Saul becomes jealous. You know, I think we all know something of that feeling. If you're human, why are her kids always so well behaved? I I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but I think I remember one Christmas getting three copies of Dobson's Strong-Willed Child from different friends. (laughs) 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 We were having a few issues at the time. And I remember like, God, that family, their kids are always, you know, they're praying in church and they're all clean and they don't pick their nose during the songs. Why why not us? Why why do they get to take vacations like that? I wish my husband was sensitive like he is. Boy, it'd be great to be married to him. You know what she's thinking? (laughs) No. Why does God seem to be blessing his career when mine is stuck? Well, there are consequences for harboring jealousy in our heart. Saul learns them. Next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. He raves within his house while David's playing the lyre and he tries to kill him. He's so overcome with jealousy that, that, that it turns to hatred, that it turns to rage, it turns to violence. It's really interesting to study this text in the Hebrew, the word rabe is a nabi, which means prophesy. So literally what it says is, and an evil spirit came upon him and he prophesied madness all over David. Now, you remember back when he was anointed for king, he prophesies. It was a sign of his favor. And now when he's losing the kingdom and going deeper and deeper into the flesh, He prophesies by an evil spirit. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, wow, that's what's what's so dangerous about this, is this kind of poison seeps into your very core of your who you are and your gifts, and it distorts those gifts and starts coming out through your gifts. Ah, that's scary. That's terrifying. 
That's what jealousy can do. And then there's a simple phrase. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but it departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence. And the rest of chapter 18 is essentially about Saul trying to remove David physically by killing him from his presence. I want us just to think for a moment about the dynamics of jealousy in that little statement. Think if Saul were a man more concerned about God's glory than his own success. The text might have read something like this. Saul saw that the Lord was with David. He grieved over his own sin and was very sad, for Saul knew that he'd been rebelling against God for many years. Saul repented. Like his son Jonathan, he could see that God's hand was on David to take the throne. So Saul and David sought the Lord together. Today they developed, together they developed a succession plan. I couldn't think of how to say succession plan in ancient Hebrew. But together they developed a succession plan so that power could be transferred peacefully in Israel. <laughs> of course, that's not at all what, what happens. You know where the story goes. I mean, it just kind of goes downhill from here. There's lots of blood, there's civil war, there's fathers turning against sons, the northern kingdom sacked, the southern kingdoms sacked, and you can trace it all back to this jealousy. You can go back in your family tree, and you can look at some of the things that wounded you, some of the besetting sins that have been passed down in your family, and it can go back to jealousy that your great-great-great-grandfather struggled with and didn't deal with. This is destructive stuff. This is poison in the stream. And what's so insidious about it is a lot of times you don't know you're jealous. A lot of times you kind of have a little meanness about you towards a person, a little cynicism about you towards the person. And the older I get, the better I am at justifying it. When what at the core is nothing other than jealousy God is blessing you more than he's blessing me, and I don't like it. You got the job I wanted, and I don't like it. You have the wife I wanted, and I don't like it. You have the payroll I wanted, and I don't like it. It seems to me that one of the great tasks of getting older is to figure out how to have a Jonathan spirit. You know, it's hard sometimes, young people. I'm going to go grandpa on you here. Hold on. You're just so doggone talented. You're healthier than I am. You know all this technical stuff. You see things I don't see. And it's hard sometimes to not feel threatened. To not feel that maybe you're over it. A Saul spirit is intimidated by you, tries to get away from you. A Jonathan spirit says, thank God for Paul Hassel. Thank God for been right. Thank God for these young men and women that he's raising up. I wonder how I can step back 
and get behind them and support this new work that God is doing through them. So I think that's part of aging, is figuring out how to take your robe off and wrap it around the next king. You know why that's so hard? Because it means I'm dying. I don't know if this counts as jealousy, but we went to a graduation party yesterday for a very gifted, talented young man, great parents, and he's into an honors program, and he's you know, getting ready to go going to be in Europe and studying and, you know, the whole world is wide open to him and, you know, and he's so cute and healthy and all this stuff. And, uh, and, and I, I, I was really fun, but I, part of me thought back and said, God, oh, I'm so jealous. Well, Jonathan's spirit says, get under him, let him go. Let's talk a minute about anger. Here's something I'm learning, especially as I'm paying more attention to dreams. My dreams and the people I'm starting to walk with a little bit often show things that are going on in our hearts that I would tell you are not going on in my heart. It's, it's amazing how split we can be, isn't it? You all heard about the children's pastor that was arrested for sex trafficking this week? How could you not hear? It was on every possible media channel. I don't know him. I bet you anything that guy was totally split off. I bet he could do his job and then go do that other stuff, and I bet there was a line right down the middle, and I bet those two worlds were totally split off. That's what a human being can do. We can just cut each other, cut, cut ourselves in two. I think a lot of us are angry and we don't really realize it. There's this reservoir of anger in us. It simmers. It kind of spills out in sarcastic comments. And if we said, are you angry? No, no, no. One of the reasons we become angry is because we're jealous, like Saul. Because life hasn't turned out the way we thought it was going to turn out. Because God hasn't given us what we thought we deserved. And in the end of the day, it's because we don't really trust God. Are you angry? I dare you to allow God to show you in your dreams. One last thought. Do you feel far from God tonight? And you kind of feel like Saul, that, oh, he's, he's blessing that family. He's, he's blessing them, but I, I haven't heard from him in years. The worst thing you can do is what Saul did, is to try to get away from where God is working. That's the worst thing you can possibly do. And I know today we talk a lot about why people don't go to church, and there's lots of good reasons why people don't go to church, and millennials think about organizations differently, and yes, you can do church with a beer in your house on Saturday night. I know there's all sorts of things, and there's soccer, and all sorts of things. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I give you lots and lots of grace 
I'm trying to get over it and not take it personally when you don't show up for a month or you'd rather watch a master's and come hear me preach. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. But I will say this. Sometimes, sometimes the reason you don't come to church is you're not good with God and you don't like to be around where he's at work. And that's dangerous, friend. Really, really dangerous. And if you don't like the structured thing, fine. But you got to be moving towards Jesus' people, towards where he's at work. If it's on Friday night with a beer, fine. You better be there with your beer. Don't, don't play that with me. Nothing is more dangerous when you're struggling with God than to move away from his work. Let's pray.